Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Hey, very good. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see each of you here on the screen and uh, some of you folks that may be watching this down the road a bit today. Uh, glad we can pick up the Bible and study it together uh, with one heart, one mind, and go to the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the book uh, and ask him to do it again. Uh, but before we jump in, how about uh, if we could just stretch it a little bit? Uh, it can be a sign of stretching. It can be a sign of worship. Uh, whatever you need to do, uh, do it so that you're awake and ready to go. So let's take a minute. Uh, before we do anything, let's pray. And uh, let's talk to uh, the Lord and ask him to be with us. Well, Lord, we just know you're here. You were awake before we woke up. Uh, you knew about this study from way, way, way back. Nothing gets you by surprise. And you know each person that would be watching this today. Uh, so, Lord, uh, we just pray that your plan for each life would be orchestrated, Lord, as we would study the word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe upon it, make it a living thing that would speak to where we live. And I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the word to each life in just the right way that each of us needed. So, Father, we thank you for what you're going to do even before we start. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings, which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And they took this, and he took this from their hand and fashioned with it a graven tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. Well, it's been quite a time they had, for sure. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and a sacrifice to it. And they've said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone. 
that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I'll make of you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why dost thine anger burn against thy people, whom thou hast brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm to thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou didst swear by thyself, and didst say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. And the tablets were God's word, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now, when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's the sound of war in the camp. But Moses said, It's not the sound of a cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And came about as soon as Moses came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shouted them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, which they had made, burned it with fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it over the surface of the water, and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you? that you brought such great sin upon them. And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourselves, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, the Moses stood in the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi lathered together to him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every man of you, put a sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp. Kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, dedicate yourself today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. And it came about on the next day that Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. The Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin. They made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou hast written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, 
My angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Okay. Uh, away we go. So let's look at this. Um, there's a lot of different little points I think I found helpful to look at and study. Uh, and just jump right into number one point, I think, is right there in the first verse. Uh, and I think I would say this on that. Um, human beings, you and I don't do well with weight. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody on the screen is a very patient person. Uh, but most of us, I don't think, exhibit that very well. Look at verse one. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron. They said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So basically, the people realized that Moses went up. We know, as we've seen in other chapters, Moses went up. He spoke with God. God gave him the Ten Commandments. God gave him also some other specific commandments and also gave him a lot of information on how to build the tabernacle. So Jesus, Jesus through uh, working through the spirit, was trying to communicate in the Old Testament, even there, to get through to the people uh, and to Moses, basically, what was going on, what they were supposed to do. Uh, so Moses delays, and as he delays, Basically, uh, the people are expecting him to come down. Come on, Moses, you know, go up, get the, the job done, come down, give it to us. We're going to move on. Let's roll with this. Uh, so they wanted, they, wanted, they wanted things to happen. It's not like this. And I think, I think we can identify with that human nature. You know, we uh, are like a microwave, I think, society. We want to put something in, press the button, boom. And it's there. You know, you send a text. It's right there. Everything is there right now. Um, we don't like to wait. Uh, and that's not new uh, to us. That was back with the people there. We know, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, God said to Abraham, guess what? You're going to have a child from your own body. Uh, basically, uh, they became impatient. Uh, they went into Hagar. Uh, the maid of Sarah, which was premature, trying to make it happen. And I think many times if God doesn't work on our time schedule, we try to make it happen on our own abilities and our own power. So Abraham and Sarah were impatient and it got them in a mess. Uh, you and I maybe have been impatient at times and got ourselves in a situation that can be a mess. As we see here, the Israelites are in the wilderness. You know, they want to come out of Egypt. They want to come into the promised land. Come on, Lord. Come on. Throw the switch. We're out of Egypt. Let's go right to the promised land. And God said, no, no, no. You need to be in the wilderness because you got some stuff in you that's not good. And in the wilderness, I'm going to begin to expose your heart that's not good. You're grumbling. You're complaining. Your lack of trust. So they, again, they wanted to go. Out of Egypt, promised land, God says, nope, you're not ready for it. So bottom line, I think we need to be able to practice Hebrews 6, 12. 
It says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How do we inherit the promises of God? By faith and also by patience. And, you know, that's not easy. Uh, I've always found that God seems to move a lot slower than I think he should. Again, we think God should be moving and making things happen quickly. And many times he doesn't. And I think somehow we have to come to grips all this somewhere and, and, and wrestle with this. Does God know better than I what he's doing? Does God really, really know what he's doing? Uh, is his timetable perfect? Or do I know better the timetable? So I think we've got to really wrestle with that. If we believe God's loving, if we believe he's good, if we believe he has all knowledge and all wisdom, then he knows exactly what to do at exactly the right time to get the best result in your life and in mine. So again, as I said, it's not easy to wait. It's not easy to wait when we're praying for the salvation of a loved one. Years can go by and sometimes we lose hope. Um, sometimes we have to wait when we're ill and we pray, Lord, heal me. And it's, it's not a quick fix. Sometimes we pray for financial breakthroughs. Again, they may not happen immediately or you're wrestling with the problem. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Uh, and again, we want that now. At least I guess I could say many times I want it now. So what I'm saying here is we've got to be very careful when God delays an answer to your prayer, there's a reason for it. Let me say it again. If God delays an answer to your prayer, there's a good reason for it. And maybe the best question we ought to be saying, Lord, what's the delay? Why, why aren't you answering now? Are you trying to adjust something in me? Are you trying to work in another situation that that needs to change before you can change other things? So whatever, just consider that. Uh, and learn to trust God's timing. He does know what he's doing in your life, even now. So the other issue on verse one that I see is the people of Israel do not like the idea of dealing with an invisible God. Okay. They want a God that they can see with their eyes. Uh, they want to have a God who literally speaks to them all the time. And we know at times God did speak to the Israelites very rarely, audibly, but they'd like this all the time. In other words, they want a tangible God, a touchable God. And in a sense, they want a God like they had over in Egypt. Uh, you know, they had gods. They were made out of wood. They were made out of metal. And they were touchable. They were see, seeable. Uh, and I think um, sometimes we can do that. We don't like dealing with an invisible God. We want a touchable God. So sometimes we run to, to earthly things and make them our God, a person. We can run to somebody and a person can become our God. We can run and get material goods. Again, something touchable that can become our God. Uh, sometimes different forms of pleasure, again, can become our God. But they're, they're, they're not real gods and they're empty and they don't ultimately satisfy. So we have to be able to, to get to where Moses got. And listen to what he said here uh, about him. He was 1127. For he, Moses, endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that cool? Listen to that again. Moses endured 
as seeing him, God, who is invisible. And I'm thinking, okay, how do you and I relate to an invisible God that we can't see with our eyes, can't hear with our ears, and can't touch with our eyes? How do you do that? I think there's two major ways. Uh, one is through Bible study. As we study the Bible, which is a beautiful thing we're doing here in the mornings and other times, as we read the Bible, we begin to get to know what the invisible God's like, okay? Because he tells us in the word what he's like. Not only does he tell us, he also demonstrates by his actions what he's like. So if you want to get in touch with the invisible God, read the word. For instance, uh, we know very clearly, according to Jesus, the invisible God has a father's heart. The invisible God has a loving heart, has a good heart. How do we know that? Because it's in the Bible. So if you want to get to know the invisible God and get intimate with him, get into the Bible, read it, and study it. Uh, another way to get to know the invisible God is by prayer. And by prayer, I don't mean you have to say these big formalized prayers, uh, thee, thou, whatever. I'm talking about authentic conversation with the invisible God. Tell God exactly how you feel. Read the Psalms, they're great object lessons, where the psalmist says, God, I'm happy, God, I'm sad, God, I'm mad, and they pour out, the Bible says, they pour out their hearts to God. So I would encourage you to pour out your heart to God, and then again, let him speak back to you. And he will speak, but again, as I said before, it may not be when we want it, but he will speak. He's not, he's not uh, unable, he's not mute, he still speaks. Again, he can speak through the word. He can speak through circumstances. He can through, speak through a brother or a sister. But we can relate to an invisible God. We don't have to go to a, a tangible idol. We can build a relationship. I know it's challenging. It's a lot easier to me to build a relationship with somebody I can literally see with my eyes and hear with my ears. It would be easier to build that with you. But it can happen with an invisible God as we study the word as we pray and as we give time and as we build the relationship. Okay. Um, so we see that Aaron builds this false God. Look at verse two. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings, which were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand, he fashioned with it a graven tool, made it into a molten calf, and they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Not a good picture. Uh, that's what he does. And we're told as we go a little bit further, they have a big party. I mean, it must have been some wild thing. They, they burnt uh, due offerings and peace offerings, almost like it looks a little religious, but not really, because it says they sat down to eat drink, and they rose up to play. Uh, I think there could have been some sexual elements here of like, we're going to really just let it all loose at this point. So things are going downhill uh, pretty quick. And at that point, we actually begin to shift the scene up to God. And instead of being on the earth, we, we see the scene in verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses, okay? Now, Moses is up there on the mountain with the Lord, okay? Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They've quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. 
They've made for themselves a molten calf. They've worshipped it. They sacrificed to it. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So God says, get down there quick because things are going chaotic. It's not a good scene, Moses. Now, what's interesting, uh, the Lord goes on a little bit more. And I like this to look at 9 and 10 because there's something really to be gleaned from these verses. The Lord said to the, Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them and make of you a great nation. Okay, a uh, couple things here. I have seen this people. I have seen this people. What I'm hearing here clearly uh, is the Lord says he is omniscient, meaning he knows every single thought you and I think. He hears every single word we speak, and he watches every action that we perform. In other words, every single thing about us, God knows. He knows us inside out. Uh, let me give you a verse that backs that up. Uh, you've heard this one before, I'm sure. It's Psalm 139, verse 1. Listen to this. 139.1, oh Lord, thou hast searched me, this is David, and know me. Thou dost know when I sit down, when I rise up. In other words, anytime he makes a movement, God's aware of it. Uh, thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. Thou art intimately acquainted with, here it is, all my ways. Okay. Uh, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, thou dost know it all. In other words, God is aware, even before we speak, he knows what we're going to say. He knows us inside out. Now, he knew what was going on in Israel. He knows what's going on in us. And now, the fact that he knows every little tidbit about your life and mine can be good and bad. It can be very good in that uh, the fact that when we're going through hard times and we're struggling, we can know God's on our side. We can know he's pulling for us. We, we can affirm uh, that he wants to comfort us and support us. Uh, this, this is a good thing that he knows everything about me because he's there for me in the struggles. It's a bad thing in that he knows every single thing I do that's bad. And, you know, there's people that say, oh, you know, I can fool. I can fool people. I'm thinking probably the, the best illustration is somebody says, well, you know, I can cheat on my spouse and, you know, I'll sneak around and, you know, I'm going to not let anybody catch me. Not going to let anybody see me. Uh, yeah. You know, you might pull it off. You could maybe pull the wool over your spouse's eyes, but guess what? That or any other sin, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. Think about that. He knows every move we make, and we are accountable for our lives before him. So there's nothing he misses, uh, and we are going to be accountable for every good deed we've done, and we'll be accountable for every bad deed that we have done. So it's very important that we live our life in that matter, knowing that, that God wants to reward us when we walk in the way he tells us in the book, but also that we are going to be disciplined and in some cases punished when we go do stuff that God said don't do. So it's very important.
God saw what was going on down there and he sees what's going on in your life. And that makes a big difference. Now notice what he says here. Uh, nine. I've seen this people behold, they are a what obstinate people. So when you think of the word obstinate, you ever met an obstinate person? Now, when I'm thinking of a definition of an obstinate, I'm thinking of basically some of that is plain stubborn. Now, I know nobody on this screen would have that problem, right? Uh, you folks are all pliable and flexible and easy to get along with. Um, the Bible says that they were obstinate. Another word that they could use were stiff-necked. Stiff-necked means I, I'm not bending my neck. I'm doing what I want to do, and I don't care what people think. I don't care what God thinks. I am making up my own. I am my own God. I'll do what I please. Uh, and I think that's something uh, that I put here. I need to pause. I need to ask myself a question, and I'll throw the question out to you folks. Are we stubbornly resisting something God's asking us to do? Let that just sink in a second. Am I, are you resisting stubbornly something that God is asking you to do? You know, God, I believe, gives us nudges. He tries to get us in certain directions, but we have the ability to say no. Like a little two-year-old, no, no, no. Uh, and it's something that's very important. We don't want to be obstinate. We don't want to be stiff-necked. We want to be very flexible to God and the movement of his spirit. So God may be saying to somebody, hey, you know, I've been dealing with you. You need to forgive somebody. And God may be on anyone's case here and say, look, I've been talking about this, and I've been knocking at the door trying to get your attention. I'll, I'll go deal with this issue. Uh, I know people that have had a call into ministry, and they don't want it. It's like Jonah. You know, God said, Jonah, go do this. Jonah said, no way. Sorry, I'm going the opposite direction. Uh, so I think uh, whether it's needing to forgive somebody, a call to ministry, whatever it is, I think we need to respond. The problem with the Israelites is they were obstinate, and that didn't make God happy. Look at uh, verse 10. God said to them, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, that I may make of you a great nation. So let me say this first. I think we need to be very, 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 very clear that God is extremely loving. He's extremely compassionate. Uh, he's very merciful and he's gracious. We see that illustrated in the life of Jesus again and again as he's moved with compassion and he stretches out his hands and he heals the sick. We see the tremendous compassion of Jesus when he takes little kids in, in his arms and he blesses them, where the, the disciples said, no, no, we don't have time. Come on. No, no, let's move on. No, no. Jesus stopped and was compassionate. But we also need to realize, yeah, God's loving. He's kind. But we need to realize that he is also, and the Bible says, he's extremely holy. And he's just, and because he's holy and just, he has to hate sin. Why does he hate sin? Because it screws things up in a big way. Sin is looking at what it's done to our environment. It's messed up the world with weeds and, and hurricanes 
tornadoes, earthquakes. It's messed up nations where we fight against each other. It's broken marriages. It's split churches. Sin is terrible. And because sin is terrible and it's the great disruptor, God says, I hate it with a passion. In fact, the Bible uses the word wrath, means his anger burns against sin because it's the exact opposite of what he wants for his creation. So God has to deal with sin. He can't sweep it under the rug. He has to deal with it. Even Jesus, again, I, I marvel Jesus heals the sick. He takes little babies in his hand, but he also in wrath takes a whip and goes against the people in the temple that are ripping the people off. He gets angry at sin. Uh, and I think here we see right here, God's not indifferent to people's actions, whether it's the Israelites or whether it's you or I, he, he's not indifferent. He has feelings. He has a response. And when the people do what he said not to do back in the Ten Commandments, he says, you'll have no other gods before me. He also said, you'll make no image of me. Very clear in the Ten Commandments. Here they deliberately blow God off, deliberately disobey, and God has a reaction. I am angry at this. Uh, again, I think we have to realize we can't dilly-dally with sin. There are consequences. So God says, basically, I'm going to wipe them out. I, I'm, I'm upset. And Moses jumps in, 11. Moses entreated the Lord as God said, Oh, Lord, why does your anger burn against thy people whom thou hast brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them? in the mountains, and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy burning anger, change thy mind about doing harm to thy people. And then uh, also Moses pleads, he says, you know, Lord, you said Abraham would have descendants. Uh, you know, they're going to multiply. And you're saying you're going to wipe them out. Lord, Lord, don't do this, because he's basically saying, Lord, look, if you wipe us out, the other nations are going to say, this is not a good God. Here, this God delivers the people from Egypt only to kill them in the wilderness. Like, what kind of God is this? So Moses says, Lord, they're going to misunderstand this. If you wipe out the people, they're going to get a wrong picture. You don't do this, Lord. Don't wipe out. He's standing right in the gap. A very interesting statement in verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. The Lord changed his mind about the harm, which he said he would do to his people. Let, let's try to unpack that a minute. So let me just say this right up front. Our God that we worship is the same God. He never changes. Uh, and he's never wishy-washy uh, in the sense of, well, I say this, I say, you know, people, we're wishy-washy. We say things many times we don't, follow through. You never know where people's heads are. The Lord is always the same, but, but prayer can make a difference on what God says. In other words, prayer can't change God's character, but it can change God's decision if indeed we intercede. Let me give you a perfect illustration of that. Uh, it's found in uh, 2 Chronicles. Many of you maybe have heard this verse before. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 
uh, and get this, 13 and 14. God speaking, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by name, here it is, get this, God says, if, if I do these things, I've shut up the heavens, no rain, the locust is going to come devour the crops. If I send sickness, he says this, here's the thing. If my people humble themselves and they pray, if they seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So God basically saying, if my people do something, what I was going to do, I'll, I'll change my mind. I'll go in another direction because my people stopped and interceded. That's exactly what Moses did. God said, I'm going to destroy them because they're sin. Moses comes in the gap, says, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And because of Moses' intercession, the Bible says God relented. And it's the same thing with what I shared in Second Chronicles. And maybe this is a prayer we need to be praying for our nation, folks, big time. We as the people of God need to humble ourselves. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking the face of God. We need to be turning from our evil ways. And God said, if we as a nation do that, he said, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. So God is always the same. <clears throat> but there's things that God says, I'm going to do this. But if we stand in the gap, and if we pray, and if we intercede, God can change things because of our prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is extremely powerful, whether it's praying for an individual, whether it's praying for a nation, whether it's praying for a church, a community. When we pray, something happens. And I think right here, it shows because Moses prayed, God changed what he was going to do. Okay? So <clears throat> at that point, <clears throat> we see Moses comes down from the mountain, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> with two tablets in his hands. And uh, it's not good because uh, he gets upset. Look at verse 19. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf, the dancing. And Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands. He shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf, which they had made, and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it over the surface of the water, and made the sons of Israel drink it. So Moses is ticked. And then he goes to Aaron, basically saying, hey, Aaron, guy, look, I'm up in the mountain with God. I left this whole situation in your hands. You're supposed to run with the ball. You know what the scoop is, Aaron. You know what you should be doing. Now, Aaron, what did you do? Uh, and you can see here, he confronts Aaron, verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you? That you have brought such great sin upon them. And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourselves, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, make a God for us will go before us for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt. We don't know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Boy, oh boy. 
as I can own up, Aaron screwed it up. He dropped the ball. He messed up big time. And he's not going to acknowledge it. He number one blames the people. Well, they're the, you know, they're a mess. It's not me. Those people messed. They, they, they just, they're the problem. Uh, and then, I, and I love what he says here on 24. He says, well, uh, they gave me gold. Uh, I threw it into the fire. Boop. And he says, and oh, by the way, I don't know how, but out came a cat. And, and I can see Moses looking at him and saying, really? Oh, yeah, that just happened all by itself, Aaron. Um, I don't believe Moses bought into that at all. Uh, and, you know, this idea of passing the buck and blaming others is not a new deal to Aaron. If you remember right in the beginning of Genesis, you know, God tells Adam and Eve, you know, don't mess with this particular tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and basically, you know, Adam eats the eats the the the, the fruit, not a good thing. Genesis 3:12, it says, uh, notice what Adam says. The woman whom you gave me. In other words, almost like God, it's your fault, man. You gave me some some messed up woman here. Okay. The woman whom thou gave me. Uh, she gave it for me, and I ate. So I guess what I have to say here is, are we guilty of passing the buck? Are we good at blaming everybody else? It's always their problem. It's not my problem. I never do anything wrong. We all know people like that. They won't admit that they're guilty or that they've done something wrong or offended somebody or hurt somebody. It's always somebody else's fault. And way back in Genesis, you know, we see Adam passing the buck. We see uh, Aaron passing the buck. So, I, I, again, I guess what I have to ask myself and you, uh, are, are we willing to own up when we mess up and sin? It's a big deal. Are we willing to say, you know, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, and I think first we have to do that. To God and say, God, I'm going to own up to it. I was wrong. I am sorry, God. I ask your forgiveness. And if we've hurt people in the process, I think we need to go to the people and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I hurt you by what I said or by what I did. I think a, a, an illustration uh, who does that well uh, is David. He sins big time, commits adultery. He does murder. But he owns up to it. Psalm 51. Listen to this. Psalm 51. One. Uh, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before thee. Against thee, thee only have I son, sinned and done what's evil in thy sight. So we need to own up when we've messed up and deal with it. Uh, and just two other quick things here. Uh, if you look at 25, it says, And Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among the people. Um, and Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and he said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. So Moses is saying, Okay, you guys messed up. I'm going to give you a chance to repent. 
who is for me? And then he says in 29, uh, Moses said, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord. So Moses saying everything went south. Okay, but who's going to make a stand now? Uh, and again, I see that as a, a challenge to you and I. You know, we can, we can be this bit. We can straddle the fence. You know, I'm for God. I'm not for God. I give God part of my life. I'll run some of the show myself. And we got this back and forthness. And I hear Moses saying to the people, look, no dilly-dallying, no two sides of the fence. Either you're going to make a decision for God and he's got all of you, or forget it. Dedicate yourself. Uh, and I think that that's really a challenge for us to give him the whole deal. Um, I think a great illustration uh, is found in Joshua. You know Joshua, he, he's the fellow that takes over Moses' job. Uh, and Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. This is what he says. And so he's talking to the people. And serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you shall serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But here it is. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the challenge I think I see here. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve ourselves, do our own little deal, or are we going to serve the Lord? And if we say we're going to serve the Lord, then let's serve the Lord and give him 100% of who we are. Not part, but if we really are dedicated, give him the whole deal. And as we wrap here uh, up on back to Exodus 32, if you look at verse 31 and 32, as we wrap up. The Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin. They made a God of gold for themselves. So Moses says, God, have mercy. What a messed up group of people we are. But look at what he says in 32. But now, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou has written. This to me is absolutely amazing. Moses comes before God and he says, God, I'm so identified with the people. Either one of two things you could take this. He's saying, God, I'm so one with my people that if you're going to judge them and blot them out, then, then I'm with them. Blot me out too. I mean, that's amazing. Even though he was a righteous man, had walked with God, sold out to God. He said, if the people go down, I'm going down with them. Another explanation would be, and I think this is more the corrective thing, he's saying, God, you've got to be just. And if somebody has to pay for the sin of the people, let me die in their place. Lord, set them free. I'll take their place. You blot me out. Talk about commitment. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about love. This man was willing to give his life, literally, for the life of the Israelite nation. And guess what? Doesn't that sound a lot like Jesus? I'll give my very life. I'll die so that they can be set free. One other illustration of that is so uh, clear that similar to this is Paul. And if you look in 
Romans chapter 9, Paul says this. Get this. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. It's for the Jews, okay? I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He says, I could wish myself accursed and separated from Christ. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I'll, I'll take their guilt. I'll take their sin, their evilness. Just let me be cursed, but give them another shot at it. When we have that kind of heart as the church, when we love that much that we're willing to say, I'm willing to sacrifice my life that somebody else can live, you're going to see revival in the church. When we're that serious about our commitment to God and our love for other people, when that kind of a heart, which is the heart of Jesus beats in us, something is going to change in society. So I would encourage each of us that we can have the opportunity to have that kind of a heart, that the heart that Jesus has would be in our breast. So let's close. Lord, we thank you for this chapter. Many different points, Lord, you've brought up to us. Uh, Lord, that it's not just for the Israelites. Lord, we can put our finger and point it and say, boy, they're messed up. They're screwed up. But Lord, we're messed up and screwed up too. And we do some of the same dumb things, Lord, that they do making false gods, being obstinate, uh, blaming other people, and not owning up to our own sin. Uh, Father, we could dwell on the negatives, but I just pray, Lord, more than anything, give us the heart of Jesus. Lord, help us to care enough about our neighbors, our family, our nation, that we would stand in the gap. And as Moses did, Lord, as we stand in the gap and pray that we would see change because we loved enough and because we prayed enough. So, Lord, give us that kind of a heart. I pray that for each of my brothers and sisters. Touch us, Lord, not just in our brains, but get a hold of our hearts, Lord the way you did Moses and Paul. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless you as you continue your journey in Exodus.